You're listening to the News That Matters podcast. I'm your host, Jeff McCoy. And I'm your host, Larry Thornton, for this special edition. This is the News That Matters podcast that is brought to you by the Mission Tribune newspaper. Today, we have with us uh, Samar Singh. He is the uh, with the Sikh uh, Assembly of America. He's a director of international affairs for SAA. He is currently a graduate student at Johns Hopkins University in Washington, D.C., in the government and intelligence programs. His emphasis is security studies in South Asia. Now get yourself a cup of coffee, set back, and we'll be right back after this brief message. This show is brought to you by the Missions Tribune newspaper. We bring you the news that matters, unfiltered, without bias. The news that affects you, your family, church, or nation. The public has a great amount of distrust for the media today. Somehow the fourth estate fell from a great voice in the nation. A press corp that held officials accountable, a trusted source of unbiased news to an entertainment report where the news is written to fit an agenda and not the facts. That's why we started the Missions Tribune newspaper. We wanted to tell the news as it is, the news that matter. Our reporters have international experience and long investigative pieces to their credit. We cover humanitarian and religious news from your church or civic group to around the world. Subscribe today at themissionstribune.com. Subscribe. We'll send a copy out to your home or office every two weeks. Thanks for supporting journalism that brings you the stories that matter to you. Okay, here we go. This is a special edition show. Welcome to the show. We appreciate you coming in today. You've made quite a trip to get up here to us. Yeah, yeah. Thank you for having me. No, no down, problem. Drove that's down great. from Washington, D.C. Got a little late in the traffic here, but... <laughs> traffic can get a little heavy. Yeah. That's for sure. Especially around Manassas. Yeah. Yeah. Getting out of D.C. was bad. Yeah. Well, we've got a lot of ground to cover. And what I'd like to do uh, to just get us started, to make sure that all of our listeners are up to speed on what is happening, can you give us just a little bit of background of how this is, what what's going on right now with India? Yeah, so um, I'll start off with telling you who uh, we are as the Sikh people. The Sikh community, the Sikh religion started in 1469 in the region of South Asia, in the Punjab region. Uh, Punjab is a state. It's been a sovereign, separate state since the beginnings of time. Um, and in 1469, the first Sikh guru, Guru Nanak, Guru Nanak Dev Ji, uh, he was born and he essentially started the religion through... Um, this ideology saying that I'm not a Muslim and I'm not a Hindu, right? Um, those were the two predominantly main religions in the region at the time. Um, and so essentially what it is, what it boils down to is the day Guru Nanak said, I am not a Hindu and I am not a Muslim, the Hindus took that personally, right? And they said, you know, this is something that we can't accept in our society and these guys need to go. Ever since 1469, since Guru Nanak, all the way until now, November 11th, 2023, uh, the Hindus and the Hindu nationalists in India have been on a mission to eradicate minorities and anybody that doesn't fit inside their um, their ideologies and their philosophies, essentially. And yeah. that's that's becoming more and more political um, as time progresses. Now, it's it's it, of course it's a very serious problem in India, but it's also worldwide, right? Yeah. I mean, they're they're reaching out. They're they're not just saying you can't be here. They're reaching out across borders. Exactly. Exactly. Well, it sounds like what they're doing in, with the uh, with Israel. Yeah. I mean, trying to everybody's attacking them for and they're wants to annihilate them, get them, get rid of them mm-hmm, completely. Mm-hmm. Essentially, what it boils down to is they're saying that you know our this the survival of our state only exists if your state does not exist, right? So there can only be yeah. one or the other, and that's obviously an issue when we have multiple societies trying to coexist, right? What's the population counts, you know, in in these various groups? Um, so and on a percentage basis, yeah, in India, there's roughly I would say over. I think it's uh, over a billion people now, um, or, or right around there, I, sh- I should assume, um, at, right after China. I believe China is the highest. Um, and so uh, India is, I believe, the majority population is Hindu, um, and then the second um, majority is Muslim. Uh, after that, it would be six, and six only comprise of uh, under 5%, so like around 2 or 3% of um, India. Uh, and they are, I guess you could say, it's a... It's a um, it's a major minority, right? And after that, there's other religions like Christianity, Buddhism, Jainism, um, and these different minorities who are also suffering the same fate that we are, unfortunately. Now, and in your particular group, it's, it's, it's open to different 
I mean, you believe that your personal choice of religion is based on your personal choice, right? Exactly, exactly. So essentially the word of Guru Nanak said that there is one God, it's one um, divine God that we believe in. You you can call him whatever you want, you could believe in him however you want, right? But essentially it's just one uh, divine energy, right? This one creator, um, he, he's the one who created all of us and everything that exists, right? So... Whether you say, you know, it's it's God through this way. If you go to the Middle East, they, they preach him a different way. If you go up to Europe, they preach him a different way. But it's still one creator, right? Right. And so now, how does this spill out on, on a political battlefield? So uh, it, it, it turns political, I guess you could say predominantly around the time of the British. Right around when the British came, um, there were some reformists in the Hindu community. So, so Hindu, uh, it's not really correct to say Hinduism is a religion. It's more of a philosophy. Right. Um, it, it's it's a mindset. It's 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 kind of like um, there's many different um, branches. There's many different ways you could um, uh, pray in Hinduism. Right. And so Hinduism tries to um, it, it's kind of hard to explain. And I'm no ex- expert in Hinduism. Right. This is just from what I'm under, what I've understood growing up um, is that they try to capture different types of um, energies, different types of forms of they have deities, I believe. Right. They have like millions and millions of different right. deities right so so they believe in different things they don't believe in one god one creed right i think right uh, i'm not sure um but essentially it turns political when they try to say that other religions and other types of castes and other uh creeds of people fall under our philosophies right like you fall under this caste system you fall under this level or this hierarchy in our religion right um, and they try to put people in their religion, right? And so one prime example of this we can see is Article 25B of the Constitution. Uh, and essentially what it says is that um, Sikhs and other religions related to Sikhism like that, Jainism, Buddhism, are still branches of Hinduism, which is incorrect, right? We have nothing to do with the Hindu religion. We're a completely separate religion. But uh, according to this article in the Constitution, they're saying that, no, you are a part of the Hindu religion and you fall under our uh, philosophies and our our hierarchies and our caste system. Well, does that cause problems when somebody is actually re- when when you believe that there's one God and they believe that there's many 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 gods, which they do? Are, are, can they force you into making that statement or or following that belief? Well, well, right now what we're seeing with Hindu nationalists is they're trying to make this argument that our gods and uh, our God and our gurus, our prophets, were still people that worship some form of Hinduism, right? So they're making the argument that whatever you believe in, it is still some philosophy of Hinduism and that you are a Hindu, right? And essentially, if you are not a Hindu, if you're a religion that completely cannot fall under this category, you have to uh, go. You have to go. And how do they make you go? Um, So right now there's problems with citizenship, right? So they're just outright denying citizenship to people. Um, They're making you leave the country or um, some cases, what we see in extreme cases, like with the Sikh religion and the Jan, um, is extermination, right? Genocide. They try to eliminate you. There's been multiple genocides in Indian soil, um, and it's 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 an ongoing issue. Something that's scarred the legacy of Hindus uh, in India um, ever since they came to power. The Wall Street Journal just had an article about the number of Indian Sikhs, Sikhs that are coming across the border, southern border. There was like forty-two thousand. Uh, in the last fiscal year ending October 31st, I think there was something like 21,000 a year before, and uh, also an additional 1,600 crossed the northern border. Yeah. So you are they're trying to escape, but they said that that had gone up. It was, uh, uh, I think, like the previous four years, uh, there was you had to add those together just to get what you got uh, in 42,000. I mean, or less. Mm-hmm. So uh, it's it's really. Uh, exacerbating the uh, the numbers coming across the uh, the border there is that the direct result of the persecution? Well, I can't say it's a direct result of the persecution right now. Um, it, throughout times, it has been. I believe in the eighties and nineties, there was a lot of political asylees coming, people claiming political asylum uh, in America because of the conditions in India. Uh, my family happened to be one of those as well. We were persecuted in India, um, and so. Uh, now I think it's more of a opportunity. It is becoming um, not just a religious persecution crisis, but it's also becoming like a um, economic crisis. Right? Opportunities are vanishing. The land is being depleted. It's it's an agricultural state, Punjab, the region, um, and so 
uh, there's been issues of the the farm bills. Maybe you guys have heard of those. A couple of years ago, there was a very big farmers' protest, the largest protest that took place in the world um, in India, and it's because uh, Indian the Indian government was trying to create these bills that were going to exploit farmers and agricultural uh, people and their lands. So because of these um, economic crisis and because of these um, lost job opportunities, the youth is trying to leave Punjab. It's a, it's a known thing. Everybody wants to leave Punjab, right? It's because they, they they just see this vision that America or Canada is the way to get out and make money. And then, you know, that, that's the land of opportunity, right? Essentially is what it is, right? They still believe in the American dream. So. Well, you know, what I... What I'm struggling with here a little bit is, uh, and it's in one of these reports here, that India has adopted and ratified uh, major international human rights covenants, basically through the Universal Declaration of Human Rights with the UN. So how is it possible that they're getting away with this type of persecution at all these different levels? Well, I mean, I, I can't answer that outright, but there's many factors that lead up to it. You know, it's, it's a hydra-headed problem. You know, there's things that, for example, the United States government looks over uh, I believe yesterday there was Senator uh, Secretary Blinken um, and um, uh, Lloyd Austin. I believe they met with uh, the the Foreign Minister and the Defense Minister of India, and they talked about um, they talked about the case in Canada, right, with the killing of Shahid by uh, Hardeep Singh Nijer, uh, who was a sick man. But then they also reaffirmed them that we're going to give you MQ9 drones and we're going to begin, you know, underwater military technology development and these types of deals, right? And they secured their strategic deals. Uh, I believe they changed their uh, defense relationship into a strategic relationship now. Um, so, so it's 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 yeah, like they they slap you on the wrist and say, hey, yeah, you're doing something, but you we'll know, look the other way. Yeah, but we'll look the other way, right? You know, our strategic interests are more important, essentially. Well, some of these things is freedom of assembly, this uh, mass detention. There's a, it's very well documented. It, mm-hmm. It's you know, it's not really your opinion or what I think. These are well documented cases, assassinations. You would think that somebody somewhere would be able to try to bring in enough to but put Jeff, the pressure but on. But, Jeff, you know we're talking about the United Nations. Right. Okay. <clears throat> but I, the, I don't understand why we're letting the United Nations stay in this country because they do everything they can. These little countries that are very small have very little pull, but in there, they're one, they have an equal vote, and they – uh, put make America look stupid, and they go if and, and they're right now they're anti-Israel right. as a general. I, my and there's President Trump wanted to pull out Nikki Haley, who's running. She was the ambassador, but I believe she's gone to the point of wanting to pull out too. I cannot understand why we remain in, and we put we we give twice as much money to support that as any other country. And, and yet, and, and they dictate the policies to us. But yeah. somebody somewhere should be able to. It, it's it, until that day happens, there's still completely clear violations of these covenants. Yeah. You know, uh, Larry. Uh, to answer your question, I think the United Nations. It's it's more of a security issue. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so, uh, it's it's if the United States pulls out of the UN, then you know Russia and China are free to take. Essentially, it's it's going to become a power vacuum, right? United States is a regional hegemon. And if they are not at the table where all these other countries are, um, they're losing out on vital strategic intelligence and different things like that. And, and, and until that point, anyway, if that does come up or not, we still have these violations that somewhat, you know, that, you know, I'm, I'm not even seeing, are there any sanctions placed against no. the current? I was going to say, they, they, I don't, again, I'm going back to, I don't see where it does, does a bit of good. I know we got, we need to have a skin in the game. We need to be able to talk, but um, you know, no, what is we consider right is considered wrong with 75% of the countries. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And it's not, they don't have our values, I guess, the, the good values. That's, I've struggled with that for, for several years here watching what happens. And uh, I'm, I'm not smart enough to be able to figure it out. They got a lot smarter people around to me, but I just, there are a lot of people, congressmen, president, past presidents who feel the same way. If you can't, if you if you can't get the help from the UN to stand up for the the rules that they've actually agreed to, is there any way can anything be done internally in well, the country? Well, like you know, there is the 2020 referendum that is happening right now that is to support the the um, the UN Charter, the right to self determination, um, and and that is a legal charter under the United Nations, and it was adopted by the six in 1986, 1986 when they said we need our own homeland, right? We need Punjab back. Um, and there's no other way for our survival, right? We're going to get 
eliminated by the Indian state. You know, they've occupied our region and our homelands. Um, and so there is a referendum going on, but um, internally, uh, until I guess someone like the United States makes a bold statement and says, no, these people need their homelands back or these people need to survive or they have the right to, you know, to, the right to li- uh, live essentially is what it is. Um, so until a regional hegemon makes a stand like that, it's going to be difficult. How about the SAA? So what the kind S- of lobbying effort are you guys putting in here? So the SAA is trying. We just started this year. Um, it's been going good. We're, we're getting around to a lot of senators and congressmen. Um, most of them either immediately turn away or most of them are very keen to listen to us, right? It's, it's, it's one or the other. Um, so the ones that do listen to us, they are interested in who we are. They know that, you know, the Sikh community has been a part of America for over 100 years. I believe like in 1899 or the, exactly the year 1900, the, the first Sikhs came to America uh, in California and, the, and New York as well. And we've been working in the United States for over a century, right? We've served in both world wars. And so the United States... Contributed is, to, the, to the growth of the country exactly, and the economy. And, exactly. You know, and, and uh, Sikhs, Punjabis are one of the highest taxpayers in America, whether you look at California or East Coast, you know, the, these guys have their own trucking businesses. They have their, you know, like property, real estates, and they're paying their taxes. So I think the United States needs to realize that, hey, our minorities are actually contributing to the U.S. economy and other things. Right. And, you know, uh, unfortunately, right now with so many illegal immigrants coming into the country, America, and I can't really speak for the entire country, but just, we're seeing a little bit of a shift. Everybody came to this country and everybody contributed, the Irish, the Germans, the mm-hmm. Italians, you guys, you know, Africans. Uh, these people came and they, they blended into the society and have really contributed yeah. greatly to it. But unfortunately now, you know, and like in the case with, with you guys, you see you, you provide such a large amount of employment, yeah. a large tax base that you're paying that you was just referring to. You know, um, that alone you think would get some – congressman's attention but sometimes i'd yeah i mean the problem still is yeah you know these people are coming in illegally and they should be coming in through the proper way right they should be coming in through either political asylum or through you know like some some type of proper way but you know um essentially when it when there's a crisis you know no one really cares right they just want better times ahead of them right and and the thing is that a lot of americans are overlooking that fact they're they're looking at it like oh they're all bad people well there's a lot of people that are stepping into this country just ahead of the axe you know they're just one they just want to establish a family but i think that and now that's a minority we have a lot of legal immigrants that came into this country um from all over the world, not not just to South America, but from all over the world, most came here. Uh, they've worked hard. They raised their family. They made sure their family learned, went to school, excelled in school. Um, many immigrants took two jobs in order to um, be have uh, provide for their families uh, and have a better life. Um, but is that what? Besides persecution, and is that the economics part of what you talked about? Where they need jobs, they want to, and how? How did you get more personal? How did that happen to you, your family? Yeah, so I mean, if you look at the Punjabi Sikh community, it's a very family-oriented community. Even in the Sikh religion, the importance of a family is stressed. You know, um, you have to have children, you have to have a wife. You know, you have to. Um, create the house essentially is what it is right and right. and that is how you have your community and your society flourish right when all your children are safe and happy and there's a you know it's it should be a good society that's right? a building block for all societies actually. exactly exactly right so um that's what people essentially want and it's if they don't see that opportunity in punjab they're gonna leave right um so my parents came in the in the late 80s 90s um and, and it was it was a hard time. Um, my dad, he's been a truck driver for over 25 years, and now he owns his own trucking business. Um, and so he, he came to establish a business, right, and establish his family uh, and make sure that I have I have the opportunities that he wasn't able to go through, right? Even though he, he, he's went to college, right, he has a degree in political science, um, but he wasn't able to use that. But he wanted to make sure that his son does go to politics, right? He does have the, the ability to use... To make um, a change. To make a change, right? Like, do carry out the legacy that he see. Uh, that he wanted, essentially, right? And I'm glad that I had that opportunity in America. Here. And you grew up in Sacramento area? Yeah, I was born and raised in Sacramento, California. Um, it's a lot different now than it is growing up. I'll I was going to say, well, I was in the service in uh, Rancho Cordova, which is about 30 miles uh, east of 
Sacramento. Uh, not anymore. It's it's saw all, one town. It's all one town now. <laughs> yeah, I would. I told someone said if you could fly into Sacramento and you drive up the corridor there, you won't recognize because it's just it. There is no break between. There, nope, nope. They just and, created like more and more. And I was at Mather Air Force Base in navigator training, but uh, I understand it's not even an Air Force base now. It's just a cargo hub. Yeah, it's just the, the um, there was McKellen and I believe McQuell, McKellen. Let's see, McQuell, McClellan. Yeah, McClellan. Yes, McClellan. Mather were the two, and I don't believe they're active anymore. Yeah, McClellan was the big one. Mather yeah, was ma- mainly a navigator training base. Yeah, McClellan is right around where my truck yard is, well, so we 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 know that area well. Okay, well, I have fond memories. I loved that area at the time. Yeah. yeah. Let me just ask you about this that it was in this report too. Was persons awaiting trial accounted for approximately seventy-seven percent of the prison population, and and that's in relation to these delays of trials? You know, where we can arrest you and hold you. Yeah. How's that being addressed now? Is that, you know, what? It's, well, it's still an issue. So sick political prisoners are still in jail. Uh, there's still uh, demands, for example, free juggy now is a movement that's been going on for, I believe, over five or six years now. Um, and he's, he's a British citizen, a citizen of the UK, uh, and he's been being held illegally. There's been no charges formally against him in India. And it's, it's so how long can they, can they hold you without... So if we look at the Constitution of India, which is which is essentially where all the problems lead to, um, everything that India is doing, all these draconian um, laws and these draconian acts, um, they're justified by the Constitution, right? And so in the Constitution, there's Article 22, um, which states that it's um, essentially what it says is uh, if you if this if the police or the state were to arrest somebody, you have to present them in front of a magistrate uh, within 24 hours, right? But the problem in the Constitution is is it allows for amendments and uh, explanations that completely twist the meaning of what the actual... Uh, so that's what it says, but that's not what it means. Yeah, right? that's not what it means, though, right? So right. underneath it, it says the state is allowed to make any provisions they deem fit for any act or situation. But unfortunately, right? it's no different here now. I mean, you, were, you have a right to a speedy trial, but then there are January 6th protesters who are still in jail, have not been charged with anything. Uh, and you know you don't know what's going to happen to them. Well, well, I believe there's still like some type of conspiracy or maybe like some RICO charge or something. I believe involved with that. So that if they have like a suspicion, they could pick you up. Um, but something in India is extreme where they don't even need a suspicion or they don't even need to accuse yeah. you of being like if if you were standing at the Capitol on January sixth, I could understand why they picked you up, right? Like there was a lot going on. There was a tons and tons of people, right? But I mean, they should uh, free you immediately, right? Like essentially, they shouldn't pick you up at all, right? But in reality, is they picked you up, right? In India, they don't need any type of, they don't need no suspicion. So a political opponent or somebody that's gaining ground, mm-hmm. you know, making progress, yep. they you can get, just show up at their house in the middle of the night and say, we're going to arrest you. And the biggest example of that we could see is very recently, uh, the, the leader of the Congress party, the opposition party to the BJP who is in power right now, Rahul Gandhi, uh, he was arrested, I believe. He was charged with some crimes or something, right? But he, it was all a political move. Right? It, it was just to essentially silence the opposition. And it's um, also that using that same technique I, I see here for journalists. That mm-hmm. they're also Journalism, media, um, even, you know, I could give you two examples, right? So one is that the, the media of India ranks, I believe, like the, the Freedom Press is at like 160 or something, right? Like even though India is one of the top regional hegemons, uh, their, their, freedom, um, their, their freedom of press ranks at like it's one of the lowest in the in the entire world, right? So they they, they don't allow um, any type of uh, free speech. Essentially, is what it is. So Sikhs have a lot. Uh, Sikhs they have a lot of um, time. There's there's essentially what it is is a is a hardship in getting the real um, news out. So there's media blackouts. There's censorships of journalists, which is also the internet and. And a printing press itself. Both. Exactly. So you Inter- couldn't get out either way. Internet, social media, um, any journalists that are in the area, they could get picked up. Um, during the farmers' protest, we've seen a lot of journalists get picked up and arrested. Uh, some of them, till date, have not been released. Um, for example, there's just once in Colorado in the 1980s who was uh, a human rights lawyer, and he was um, essentially uh, documenting, missi- documenting missing peoples, right, people are who are going missing, and his, his numbers were up in the thousands, Right, thousands of people. There was no trace of where they went. Um, after the, the family doesn't know, family doesn't know. After the police picked them up, they just don't know where they went. Right, um, all they know is that the police came and the government came and picked them up. Um, and pretty soon, just once in Colorado himself was disappeared. And till date, there is 
no trace of where he went. And the entire community, it's one of our biggest tragedies. We have no idea what happened to a diamond in our community. Plus, that discourages other people from... I mean, exactly. this sounds a lot like 1950 Russia. Yeah, yeah, right. And so a lot of these tactics are actually, um, you know, they come from the Soviets. You know, the Soviet Empire and India have a lot of relations with each other. Um, and they've, they've had a lot of influence with each other. And even maybe uh, the argument could be made that today in current affairs that India and Russia have a stronger relationship than India does with the United States. Uh, uh, yeah, I, I've read that recently. <laughs> that uh, that would be a concern that we yeah. should be, you know, really imp- oh. Worried about yeah, India. No, it's it's a known thing. India has a lot of backdoor dealings with um, Russia. Uh, even during the creation of India, uh, the first Prime Minister Jawaharlal Nehru, who was he was the political heir of Mahatma Gandhi, right? So Mahatma Gandhi is this guy that we all think of as a very peaceful, nonviolent, mm-hmm. old guy, wise guy. But that's not what he actually was. He was a political mastermind, right? And he is essentially the person who gave birth to this Indian Constitution that is now being you know, used to exploit people's human rights. Um, and so Jawaharlal Nehru was someone who, uh, he was an open socialist. Uh, there's even a quote in his biography I'm using in my thesis at Johns Hopkins, and he's pretty much praising socialism. And he says the best example of socialism fixing people's lives that we can see is in the Soviet empire, right? And it's, it's a quote, and it's, it's clear as day, right? And I'm like, this is the guy who created the constitution. This is the guy, he was the leader of the Indian National Congress, and his family... Um, his daughter and then later his grandson, uh, they were prime ministers of India for almost f- nearly 40 years, right? So they've maintained a stronghold. And you could see that's not really a democracy. So that's a long reach. It's not a democracy, right? If there's one family in power for 40 years, right? So. Right. Well, you know, the thing is, when you see these type of problems, how much international attention can you bring to it? Well, so when when India uses things like the article uh, Article Twenty Two, when they when they misuse, you know, the um, it's called the NSA. I think is what they do is the National Security Act allows them to pick up anybody they might think is like a is a criminal or a terrorist or anything, um, and they pick them up indefinitely. So they have people right now like Amritpal uh, Amritpal Singh who was picked up earlier this year and he is still in jail, um, and it's a growing issue. So a lot of social media. Pages are picking him up. News medias are picking him up um, because he had a large movement going on in the hundreds of thousands uh, internationally in California. There were car rallies in his name, uh, trying to free you know free Amrit Ball. Same thing with Juggy. You know when he was arrested um, a few years ago, he actually went to India uh, to prepare for his wedding, and before his wedding, he was arrested by the police, and he's still in jail. So his case is very big out there. So there's a lot of international organizations highlighting it, but the governments just don't want to do anything. Yeah, they just say that we're not going to listen to what your protest is or read your letter. I mean, how can they just shut it down completely like that? I guess this is where it is going to take the U.S. or the U.N. to step in and say we got to take a look because this is going to continue, it looks to me like. I mean, I don't see any end in sight. Well, I mean, the most recent news is literally yesterday when Secretary Blinken, you know, said India needs to – they they need to work with Canada to solve this investigation into the death of the Sikh leader, uh, Hardeep Singh Nidjar. And that's as – Recent is yesterday, and there is still no news or anybody. It doesn't seem like there's any change from that. Explain you know? what happened for our That's listeners. That's what I was that, just <laughs> going to say the same thing. <laughs> they, they, they aren't aware of what happened there. Okay. So there's there's a very large um, um, story that needs to be told, right? And I, I won't bore everybody, but I'll, I'll give you the brief rundown. So in 1984, uh, it's essentially the year the third Sikh uh, genocide happened. So the first two genocides happened, the Chotaka Lugara and Vardaka Lugara, the, the smaller genocide and the bigger genocide. Those happened in the 1700s under the Mughal Empire uh, in the region of Punjab, where Sikhs were massacred in the thousands, hundreds of thousands. Um, in 1984, um, arguably that was the third genocide, where Indira Gandhi, Prime Minister Indira Gandhi, uh, who was the daughter of Jawaharlal Nehru, and um, uh, she was, I believe, the, the goddaughter of Mahatma Gandhi or something like that, um, uh, she essentially vowed to eliminate all Sikhs and said that, you know, I want these people gone. They just need to be eliminated. Um, and there was various... You know, there's many vulgar languages used, um, but she she essentially she essentially uh, allowed the entire military and the police to kill on site anybody who was wearing a turban, anybody who looked like they were a follower of Sikhism, a follower of uh, Sant Jarnail Singh Pindranwale, who was um, he, he was a, a a Sikh preacher in the 1980s, um, and he was someone who pretty much took the stand against the government. And said, no, this is wrong, and this is, you know, we're, we're going to fight back. We're not going to allow you to just 
you know, kill us, right? And Sikhs are, we're, we're very warrior race, you know, we, we, we know about warrior traditions, you know, it's been instilled in our, um, in, in the principles of our Sikh religion, you know, with the 10th Guru, Guru Gobind Singh Ji, who militarized the Sikh religion and said, um, he essentially gave us the, um, the duty to wear a kirpan, which is a sword or dagger, right. right, in the name of righteousness, right? It doesn't matter if you're a, um, uh, if you're a low caste, it doesn't matter if you're a different religion, it doesn't matter if you're a male, female, whatever you are, right? You have the right to live, you have the right and to self-defense. certain... self-defense. Exactly, right? And if you can't defend yourself, it is my duty to defend you, right? And, and, and that is what uh, Sikhs are taught, essentially, right, as soon as they're born. Um, and so... When you have a warrior race like that, you know, there's no way that the, that any state could defeat us, right? Yeah, and I think so, it was at the New York Times that just held a picture like that. It showed a lot of them yeah, that was wearing it, you know. Yeah, and, and I believe the New York mayor or somebody, was uh, they, were, they were gifted a kirpan uh, by the Sikh community. Um, and and that, that, that shows, like, a symbolism of the Sikh community, you know, and that we show, like, you know, strength. And, and that it's essentially a sign of strength, right? Right. But going back to the other topic is um, Jawaharlal Nehru, uh, his daughter... Um, they carried this this essentially philosophy that was birthed by um, Mahatma Gandhi. Is this ideology of Hindutva? Right? It wasn't birthed by Gandhi, but it was essentially taken to new heights by Mahatma Gandhi. And Hindutva is this ideology that uh, there needs to be a supreme Hindu control, right? So the entire, not just India, but the entire world needs to be Hindu dominated, right? Uh, and there's various levels of this nationalism we can see at political levels. We could see them at religious levels. We can see them at, you know, like different societal levels in India. And they're starting to affect internationally as well. Um, so uh, this organization, essentially the RSS, was formed. Um, it's a right-wing paramilitary, pro-Nazi. Um, these guys loved Hitler. Uh, Mahatma Gandhi actually wrote a letter to Adolf Hitler um, calling him my friend. And so, you know, he, he had sympathy. And so that philosophy that he shared with uh, Adolf Hitler uh, found its way into Hinduism, right? Essentially through this ideology of Hindutva. Uh, and these political leaders like Mahatma Gandhi and Jawaharlal Nehru and Prime Minister Indira Gandhi carried it out in their political uh, careers. Uh, and they allowed, it for it, they allowed for it to essentially uh, flourish in India. Um, and that led to mass massacres how do they live with the muslims if they well so this this is what it is this is this is what's causing like you know these uh violent uproars in these communities where uh, we see battles we see killings of these people it's it's a it's a common thing in india right that you know like we'll see every other day there was like some village or some you know city where like some boy was killed or some girl was raped um you know india is the rape capital of the world and most of the time these people might rape in the name of their nationalism right and so it's it's a deterrence thing it's a uh it's a way to intimidate people and create fear right to um, break the strength of the people yeah yeah and so you know and when the government is backing it and allowing it for it to happen essentially you know it's it becomes a huge international problem we'll be right back after this message are you looking for a job that you'll love an office with a view called Custer trucking new trucks long hauls $1,500 weekly. Call 304-822-0959. Drive for a company that lets you haul the money home. Okay, and we're back. So this has really been quite a quite a challenge. Why do you suppose that the Hindu want to have such dominance? I mean, this is also a common problem with other religions and other political parties, too. Mm-hmm. You know, the Nazis were never satisfied with what they had. They always wanted something more. The communism always wants something more. Exactly, so, exactly. So, you know, but how, how can you overcome that? And and also, let me, ask, let me ask you another part of that question, too, is for your community here in the United States, it appears to me that they're very united and very organized. Now, is that true is that the case uh yeah i mean definitely i would say you know we're very organized the our uh, places of worship the sikh gurdwara um it's it's a very uh it's it's a very political um it, it has a very political climate um even though it's a religious institution you know it's 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 meant for community engagement it's meant for the entire community to come together under the name of god um and you know like make sure they have uh, everything they need uh, politically uh, politically or you know religiously spiritually you know if they need help if they need political wisdom or something um, because politics does play a big role in life you know and this is one of the things that Sikh religion teaches um, this concept of median pity so the sixth guru 
Um, he wore the two swords called Miri and Piri, Miri and Piri, and essentially one of them was uh, for religious and spiritual wisdom, and one of them was for political wisdom. Are they concerned about what's happening inside the United States, as uh, far as how the the direction of the politics and, and yeah, restrictions yeah. here? Yeah, it's becoming a bigger and bigger an issue. I mean, especially when we see things like, for example, um, one of the fun ones is the Second Amendment, right? And the Sikh community is a big supporter of the Second Amendment, um, and that's becoming more and more infringed as we speak, especially in places like California. Right. Well, yeah. actually, the United States, California is getting it pretty hard, so is New York. But, you know, I mean, and, and it, it, if we see somebody like Galvin Newsom come into power, we're going to really, he's going to move that up a notch mm-hmm. on, on a federal level. I mean, yeah, yeah on a federal then. level, it'll be insane. You know, in California, we already experienced the worst of him. So, you know, people are done with him. They're sick of him. I don't know how he beat his. Uh, um, uh, what, what is it when they try to like uh, take oh, him to, yeah, to impeach him? Impeach him, yeah. He yeah. beat his impeachment, but I don't, well, I don't he know. changed everything. If you remember, right before right before the impeachment, he started backing off. Didn't he send rules. everybody a check because we had an excess in yeah, the budget yeah. or something? They sent everybody a check, and yeah. he reduced the the COVID coverage rules. And then once he beat the impeachment, it moved it all back. And up now there are how many billion dollars in debt the, the state is. But look at yeah. the strength that he has in the country, which is what is a real concern. You know, I mean, he's he's a serious candidate. I mean, yeah. I know California doesn't like him, and I know there's m- most conservatives in the United States do not like him, but yeah. he still has a huge amount of money backing yeah. him. People are sending money in all they, the time. I've read that he has, a, you know, he looks good. You know, and he, you know, he has a JFK, John F. Kennedy yeah. look, you know, yeah. and he, he won primarily, uh, you know, not primarily because he was, he was a good man, but he still won a lot because of. He was uh, young, had the young, looks. good looking, good looking wife, all that kind of stuff. Good looking yeah. family. But even his background, you know, there's this, um, this, uh, th- this came up a while ago is his relationship to Nancy Pelosi, right? Is that yeah. He has some former relationship with her. So he obviously seems to have some type of strong political ba- uh, backing. Yeah, he's got he's got a lot of strength. Um it'll be bad for us if he makes it. But anyway, yeah. but, you know, but, that that's where you know are you seeing that concern in your community? Yeah. And not just I'm not just Galvin Newsom, but also just the, the entire state of the country here. Definitely. I mean, is it is, are there any similarities do you think between well, well, India and here? Here's the one thing I would see here. The problems we see like let's say for example, I, I'm a business owner. I'm a small business owner. Um, a lot of the people in the Sikh community are business owners. We own gas stations and we have trucks and things like that, right? But they're our own, right? So we don't we don't lease them out from other people. They're our own. So we're our own, we're our own business owners. And so when we have to deal with business issues, right? So there's this huge thing in California where essentially people say the government of California does not support businesses, right? They want your uh, um, they want your business to fall and you know like. Uh, essentially not flourish and so they allow things like homelessness and they allow for like you know like regulation regulations regulation. and violations and tons and tons of it and i myself am experiencing it right now in in, in the trucking community but i know uh you know the people in the gas uh, the gas station and convenience store community um uh, a couple months ago there was this huge issue that i believe the democrats were passing where essentially they they, they were passing this bill that said that you cannot uh, monitor or stop criminals that break into your store. Yeah, right. right? And it was a huge thing. And our, our Sikh community rallied together at our Gurdwaras, and they were like, dude, this is going to affect the entire community, not just, you know, like uh, and a specific group. And so everybody got together and they protested. And, you know, there was tons and tons of uh, different um, groups that came together. There were tons of business owners that came together. There was a protest I attended, and I believe there was well over like four or 500 people that came out there, and they were protesting outside the California Capitol uh, and, and they were protesting these bills. So it was very great to see the, the emotion and the support that these people have in politics. Well, yeah, that's what I was just going to ask you. So it appears that you guys have been a little bit of a leader in some of these issues. And, yeah. and actually what we're talking about here is just bizarre. Mm-hmm. I would have never have imagined that they could say you're allowed to go in and steal something that's not yours from somebody that's earned it or, or yeah. carrying the bill on this thing, and you're just going to walk out the door with yeah, it. Yeah, they are saying, like, you have to, like, wait and report it to the police and do this and that. Like, bro, like... You know, like and security just... guards getting fired for stopping people from. Exactly. Staying. I mean, exactly. you know, but this is. Uh, do you? The other thing I want to ask you about your community is, and I know this is a very broad question here, but as far as these businesses, are you guys helping each other with the financing of uh, acquisitions or starting up a business? Um, I mean, it's it's not something that's 
open. I believe if people do that on a personal level, it might it might be happening, um, but it's not like something that's publicly done. Right, but um, you're encouraging other members in your community that that want to be in in whatever business, yeah, whatever type of business. Yeah, I, yeah. I'm I want to be in this business. Here's my business plan. Yeah, Can you help yeah. Me? So if if like for example, the people that um that are coming into the the United States illegally, unfortunately, um those people they, they don't want to like you know work nine to five jobs. They want to have their own businesses. They want to be able to, you know, like actually uh, support themselves and their family and have a good reputation, right? Because reputation matters in our community. And so what essentially what they want to do is they will try to find anybody who can help them, right? Whether it's a truck driver or whether it's a gas station owner, like what what is the fastest way I can uh, be on my own feet, right? And so our community is very good at helping each other for that. Right. This podcast has been selected by panelists from Feedspot as one of the top 60 humanitarian podcasts on the web. We landed at number nine. We are reaching over 50 countries too. God has blessed us. Thank you for tuning in. And now back to the show. Well, that's kind of a question I had was going to ask you because here in America, and I know you all do this, and there are other groups of immigrants uh, that are very strong on, like I said, especially the Asian Americans, very strong on education of their children, et cetera. But we have certain groups of individuals, uh, this might be a rhetorical question, but uh, or maybe it's a political statement on my part, I'm not sure, but we have several groups of individuals who are third and fourth generation welfare pe- families. Okay. They stay on, you know, they, they, uh, they live in projects, uh, low cost housing. Uh, they, they're happy there. They don't have to work. Mm-hmm. They get everything from the government. And unfortunately, a statistic I saw, they committed over commit close to 60% of the crimes mm-hmm. in this country, yeah. um, especially the shootings. I'm trying to figure out why that certain people, uh, when I know what I, my family was poor. Uh, we won't say we were poor. We didn't have much, but I didn't know I was poor. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and I worked hard and worked my way up and worked two jobs for a long time. One of it was military the guard while I was also working in a bank and you know, we don't have a, I'm not rich, but I have enough and so forth. But I'm trying to figure out why there are certain people in America that are so lazy trying to figure out why there are certain people in America who expect handouts. Mm -hmm. I'm trying to figure out why people do not have an incentive, uh, to excel, want to do well. Um, and I'm just, I know when, when I look at how successful you guys are and how successful uh, that the Asian Americans, and, and I can I can name 10 or 15 different groups that have come in, but here, these are homegrown Americans, and we're lazy. Yeah, well, I mean, one of the biggest examples I could give you of that is this, um, this, this community of homeless people that live right outside my truck yard, right? And I was talking to one of the homeless guys one day, and I was telling him, hey, you know, Gavin Newsom just opened up a new uh, homeless building and they're giving out free apartments for everybody, essentially. Right. And they're giving you a good check. And you guys, all you, all you have to do is just live there. Right. And I said, why don't you guys go there? And word for word, what he said to me was, why should I go live off of the government? I could live on the street for free. <laughs> uh, well, you know, I think a lot of times what I see is just a different type of work ethic. A lot of times that pe- and also education, you know, there, I know where I came from and I know where I want to be. And this is a clear map of how I'm going to get there. So I'm going to do this and this and this, and then it does work out for it. It's definitely a work ethic. It doesn't matter if you own your own business or if you work for somebody else, you still, you know, and and look at employers today, how they're struggling to try to hire somebody. You know, you get somebody, he does a good job, he quits a couple of days later. You know, it's it's a real hardship that the United States is going through right now. Yeah, yeah. But, I mean, on the flip side, I think one thing to note is that, you know, how they say, um, there's the argument that the American dream is dead, but I would argue that, you know, the American dream is very much alive, and all you have to do is just look at our community. You know, like, yeah. look at the, uh, the immigrants in the Sikh community that are coming over, and they're flourishing, right? So and contributing greatly to the society, exactly. to, to, to the nation, you know, because we need that. We need jobs. We need the tax mm-hmm. base. We need everything that. Yeah. And there's this concept in Sikhism is called Sarbata Dapala, which is essentially a translate to the betterment of everybody. Right. And everybody means everybody, not a specific uh, group, not somebody who's not included. Right. Everybody means 
everybody. I get the impression just listening to you today that uh, you're, it's like one big happy family. Yeah. I won't say happy, but one big family. You <laughs> well, take the goal care, is, yeah, one big happy family. But, you know, no families are totally happy, but, you know, you try to take care of each other, mm-hmm. support each other so that everybody's successful. Yeah, yeah. And uh, that, that's what creates happiness, essentially. Yeah. How about bringing people from India to here? Uh, how, how can you assist your, your people there to come? Mm-hmm. You know. So America, well, I mean, I would personally recommend is, you know, apply for a visa, right, and come. Um, I would never recommend someone come over the border just because of how dangerous, dangerous, how dangerous it is, right? Yeah. And there's so many cases that we hear, like, you know, so many people, they started off with a group of six people, and, you know, they started in the Panama jungle, and they're walking their way up Mexico, and, you know, by the end of it, there's only two people left. Yeah. And what happened to the other guys? Oh, we had to leave them in the jungle. We had to do this. We, like, it's... No, don't don't end up like one of those cases. No, there was Plus a, the human yeah. trafficking that's taking place right before the border. You know, I mean, exactly. it's an open market down there. There's exactly. one article I was reading. They said that, you know, some have died during the journey, including Gupreet uh, Kaur, a six-year-old girl from Punjab who perished in the Arizona desert in 2019. Mm-hmm. And there were two sets of families of four from uh, Gujarat, I'm not sure, I'm sure I didn't pronounce that right, also died crossing the northern border in the northern border in the past two years. And they were, so that's eight people, two families of four. Yeah. So that's just, they just gave two examples here in the paper. But what you're saying is you, you lose a lot on the, yeah, on the trip. Exactly. And so it's, it's, if, if essentially is what it boils down to is if you think your situation back home is worse than your odds at, you know, a jungle and the cartels and all these people. Mm. Right, take, take the, the chance. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> take yeah. the chance. But you know, the what what's going to happen now? I mean, how how can any of this be addressed? You must be a little bit discouraged in the fact that you know it just doesn't seem like much progress has taken place. Well, yeah, um, progress. It depends on work, right? You know, if you put in the work, there will be progress, right? So I've been up on Capitol Hill lobbying for sick rights, uh, talking about you know sick representation, and I've been getting around to a fair few amount of senators and congressmen, and we've had some um, good good situations where we have people listen to us. We're able to educate the political community uh, in Washington, D.C. Um, and so e- even, even I guess you could say this, this past um, situation with Canada and India and their uh, diplomatic relations deteriorating over the death of the Sikh leader, uh, Hardeep Singh Nijer, that is in and of itself a progress for us, right? It's the fact that we've been highlighted and that, you know, these Western countries are picking up our issues and saying, hey, you can't just... Uh, carry out extrajudicial killings on foreign soil, right? That is transnational repression, and that is something that you cannot allow. Um, and so right now, I believe in the Senate and Congress, there are two bills uh, going to be passed on the floor um, that are specifically about transnational repression and uh, killings on foreign soil and intelligence gathering on foreign soil. And But there's a lot of, there's already a lot of laws in place, like, yeah. you know, to, to protect that. And it seems like they walked right through it in Canada. Well, yeah, I mean, the, the, the way they did it in Canada specifically, we could talk about that case. It was very interesting, right? Um, and this, this comes after the whole case was investigated. Um, essentially, what happened is the government of India had some branch of theirs. I believe it was, was the, uh, don't quote me on this, but I believe it was RAW, right? The Research and Analyst Wing of India who carried out this um, um, mission, essentially. Uh, the names involved were Ajit Doval, um, who was, who uh, I believe he was put on a, uh, a list, I believe, uh, of some sort um, because of his uh, relation to this. But essentially, he gave the order to the embassy in Ottawa. Uh, and the person, the the commissioner of the embassy in Ottawa uh, had contacts with a local gang and they carried out this assassination uh, at a Sikh Gurdwara in Surrey. So uh, the gang assassinated Hardeep Singh Nijar as he was leaving his parking lot um, after, after a, um, a Devon, after a religious session, um, it would bl- I believe it was about like 7 or 8 p.m. at night. He was leaving. He was alone in his car. Um, and at, at, at the exit, uh, someone came and just, you know, shot him a few times. And uh, they ran off. And people ran after them. Uh, the police, the I believe the RCMP, the Royal Canadian Mounted Police, they, they picked up a few individuals, some suspects. Um, but there's been essentially after that no real breakthrough in the case, you know. Um, up and, at, and what has India's government's official stand been on the whole thing? Well, they're just trying to stay quiet and not talk about it, you know. So yesterday, Senator uh, Secretary Blinken brought it up and said, you guys need to get on this investigation. And they've said that a few times. They brought it up at the, G- the G20 summit as well. They said, you guys need to um, uh, highlight this issue. And, you know. Um, Has get- it scared your leaders here? 
Yeah. So after that, there's there's a um, there's been a few notices sent out to various communities in the and throughout the globe. I believe Australia, New Zealand, uh, California, New York as well, um, East Coast, DC as well. There's been some threats from the Indian government saying that you know we're, we we can reach you right and. The, the prime example of that is not just Hardeep Singh Nijjar. Hardeep Singh Nijjar was one of three deaths uh, this past year. Um, that, that He was part of a longer list, I believe, that the Indian government uh, officially put out, the NIA, the National Intelligence Agency of India, um, which is a government agency, and they put out this list and said that we are going to kill these people. Uh, and they started off with the first one. It was uh, Pai uh, Panjwar, who was an old freedom fighter from India uh, back from the 80s, and he's been living peacefully in Pakistan for the past, I don't know how many years, and he was gunned down earlier last year. Um, after that, there was Aftar Singh Kanda in the UK, uh, and he was allegedly poisoned, right? So he was a young man, he was a perfectly fit guy, um, and he was accused of committing some crime outside the Indian embassy. They say he tore a flag down, uh, which later came out to be that it wasn't even him, it was someone else. Um, but he got blamed for it, and he essentially was poisoned and died of a heart attack a week later. Um, and so that death was very suspicious because he was a sick activist as well. Um, and then following him in June, there was the assassination of Hardeep Singh Nijjar. So he was the third one on that that's, list. That's three different countries. You're right. You know, India is very close to Russia because that sounds like Putin. Yeah, I'm, te- I'm <laughs> telling you. So they've, they've, they've adopted these tactics from yeah. the Soviets. You know, they come yeah. directly. There's evidence of it. I took a long vacation uh, through the New England states here a couple of years ago, and I went to Norwich, Connecticut. Mm-hmm. And I think you have a friend there who was a councilman. Yeah, he he just I believe he just got reelected. Yeah. And uh, I was impressed with the number of religions uh, and and nationalities and everything that is there. Uh, I think they have a welcome sign that's in, in there in like twenty different languages mm-hmm. in, with yeah. the city, and that they all get along fine, except that. The uh, a truck went through with a flashing billboard on the back, yeah. and it said something to the effect that uh, they were attacking Sikh religion. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. well, and uh, they traced it to Maine, I believe. But is is that another? You think another Indian directed, or why would somebody come? Well, that is a direct another act or an example of the transnational repression that India is committing, right? Aside from outright judicial killings um, in Pakistan, UK, and Canada, uh, in the United States, not only have they made death threats, um, but they've also, um, they've activated what, what what is essentially the, so the RSS I mentioned before, right? The um, It's the right-wing paramilu- uh, paramilitary, uh, the pro-Nazi uh, group of India that is promoting Hindutva. So they have an international branch called the HSS, Right, the Hindu Swayam Sevak Sangh. And the HSS operates in Canada and America and all these other countries as well in the UK. I believe in total they have a well over 4,000 branches all over the world. So they're international. So going back to what you said earlier, you know, is it limited to just India? Why do they want to take over the entire world? Uh, well, the problem isn't why do they want to do it. The problem is they're doing it. Right, right. and that's, uh, that's a lot of funding. Yeah, yeah. Oh, they they have tons of money. Now, you've been money. obviously very successful education-wise. Mm-hmm. Where did you, did you go to public schools in, in Sacramento? or? Yeah, so I, w- I went to a public school in Sacramento. I did my high school there, and then I went to uh, UC Davis nearby where yes. I did my bachelor's in anthropology. Um, I studied about human cultures and humans as well. Um, and then following that, I came to Washington, D.C. to do my master's in government and intelligence. At Johns Hopkins. Yeah. Okay, good. How's story. your reaction? How's the reaction from the your lobbying efforts been on a, you know, when I've been to Congress before, like with the Cameroon situation, there was a lot of congressmen and a lot of senators that absolutely didn't even know anything about it. it they mm-hmm. just they they would listen to a presentation for twenty minutes and not have a single question. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I don't know how that happens, but you know, it's because they were embarrassed. They didn't want to ask. Now we also found others that were were up to speed. How about that for you in your case? You yeah, know? well, I mean, the people that don't know and generally want to know, yeah, they're interested. You know, they will sit down and ask us questions and ask. They will have meetings with us, um, but unfortunately, some groups, um, many groups, actually have already worked with this previously. A mentioned organization that I said, the HSS, which is the international wing of the RSS. And so the HSS, you, um, they have this branch, um, well, they have a few branches, right? They have the VJP, the Vish, or the VHP, Vishva Hindu Prasad, and they also have the OFBJP, the Offshore's Friends of BJP. And those people do things like lobbying and advocacy, and they have 
a lot of influence in Capitol Hill. And they, they pretty much work with Indian diplomats. Um, and those people uh, have a stronghold in Congress. They also have a stronghold. Um, I'm not sure in the White House, but I believe in, in, in courts as well. You know, they have a lot of judges and things like that in their pockets. Right. That, may, that must make it, you know, it's got to be quite a challenge all the way around for the whole problem. I mean, you're seeing it. You're you're you're, it, it, you're seeing it inside the country and internationally too. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, unfortunately, because you know we also have been sleeping for a few years. You know, we haven't really been active on it. You know, now it's becoming more and more of an issue. They're getting sloppy as well. You know, they've been out before. It was you know things limited to like social media campaigns and anti, um, you know, like uh, anti-sick propaganda and things like that. Um, things that were, I guess, kind of hard to um, battle against. But now they're just openly killing people and right? survival. Yeah, you got, you just got your attention. Exactly. Right. Yeah. So now, now our attention is up there. And now, so we're trying to, you know, like start up movements. We're trying to get more active on. Uh, That's what I was going to ask you next is what can you do? What's the next, what's the next page in your playbook? Well, so right now we're, we're beginning a lobbying efforts um, uh, uh, more and more in Capitol Hill. We're also working with national security advisors. Uh, we have contacts in India as well who are, uh, you know, they're, they're, um, working with the governments there, trying to release sick political prisoners. We have lawyers there. Um, but again, it's a religious freedom right. It's a human rights issue. So, you know, things kind of take time. If it's something that's like a military issue, I think, you know, it's, it's uh, for example, you know, if there's like a, um, like a Pakistan-India war, uh, and this is something that we discussed very recently. I believe yesterday or the day before, there was a dispute on the Pakistan and Indian border. Uh, there was one Indian soldier who was uh, shot and killed, um, and be, so tensions are hot right there right now. And so if there's a war and there might be, it, it's a possibility. There's been one before uh, that would be in the heart of Punjab. Right. Um, and there's this theory that essentially says that if there is a war between Pakistan and India, uh, Punjab will not fight. Right. And Punjab is right in the middle of those two countries. And I believe 70 percent of the uh, um, the Indian army is uh, at that border is comprised of six. Right. And six are not going to fight their own brothers on the other side. Right. right? Um, and so that that would become, I guess, like a military. Um, so there are, there are a lot of Sikhs in Pakistan, also. Yeah. So half of Punjab, the Sikh homeland, is in Pakistan. It was divided in 1947 uh, when the British left, um, and the Indian government was formed with Jawaharlal Nehru and Mahatma Gandhi. Uh, and they they decided essentially to partition Punjab. They said that you know the first first they promised the Sikhs and said that we will give you your own homeland. We'll give you the option to have your own homeland or join us. Uh, and then afterwards they said, nope, you're just going to join us. Right. Um, yeah. It's been a real problem. Well, go back to the schooling thing. I'm, I'm interested in my wife was a teacher. So the reason I uh, want, do you all put your kids now in, I know you're not there yet, but the families, are they putting their kids more in public schools or in private schools or homeschooling? Uh, well, uh, homeschooling, some people do that. Uh, it's not a big thing in our community. Uh, private schools are preferred just because public schools now, um, especially in places like California and other liberal states, uh, it's becoming a very, very bad situation. Yeah, I think uh, oh, that was one of my statements or questions. I have schools today in the United States seem to push equity. In other words, everybody the out, they want everybody's outcome to be the same. Yeah. Instead of equality where you have an equal chance to to get the same opportunities, but yeah. it's up to you to excel. Exactly. And which is when I was in school. I mean, I was in school a hundred years ago, but, <laughs> but, uh, you know, the log home, right? Yeah. But yeah. Well, we threw the, that was one of my jobs, <laughs> throw the logs at the coal on the, but no, it's just, a, uh, my wife was so glad she's no longer teaching because they've got to, teachers have to do things now that, uh, hurt the gifted students. You know the the students that that want to excel, yeah. they yeah. they're brought down to the level of the laziest, slowest student, mm -hmm. and they're they're not doing well now. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, my mother is a is a teacher, and she she talks to me very often about the stuff that she has to deal with in school, and it's a uh, it's it's. So, by the year it's becoming more and more so you know great. exactly it's what i'm talking in, about it's yep. yeah, yeah it's all a mess it's, there it's for sure worse. thanks for coming in today we sure appreciate it but i think we've all learned quite a bit yeah i'd like to have you back again at some point in the future and thank you for tuning in to the news that matters podcast a special thanks goes out today to eric matthias for all the great music you heard on our show thanks eric great job you can find him over at soundimage.org and go to themissionstribune.com and sign up for our free newsletters. We'll keep you up to date on what's going on in our newsroom. It's free and it's easy. Feel free to repost, share, like, and follow this episode. And this podcast show has been selected by panelists from Feedspot as one of the top 60 humanitarian podcasts on the web. 
we landed at number nine. We are reaching over 50 countries also. God has blessed us. He sure has. Thanks again for tuning in. Have a great day and keep the faith.